Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. This is episode 30 coming to you on November 30th, closing out the month of November, and we are already a quarter of the way through the NHL season. The Ducks have had some highs and they've had some lows through this first section of games, but I think that there has been a lot of improvements over this second section of games. The Ducks are on the road and are coming off a Tuesday night loss to the Nashville Predators 2-1 in overtime. A positive that the team was able to secure a point early in this road trip, though. They also seem to show some fight in this game, sticking with it to the very end. Just some breakdowns that led to problems for the team and ultimately the loss. So let's get to AD's takeaways now. It was great to see John Gibson in the net and seemingly in solid form. He was one of the biggest factors for this game to keep the Ducks in this one. The Predators had 41 shots on goal and Gibson was able to stop 39 of those. Now, Troy Terry's late game-tying goal came up huge for the team. He had a lot of ice time in this game. And now he's had goals in back-to-back games, 10 goals so far in this season. Just an absolute leader for this group. And someone that the team has been able to lean on in a lot of these big games. I thought overall the team had some good chances throughout the game. It was a fairly evenly played game. The Ducks were able to shut out the Predators too on the power play, not allowing any goals. That was huge. As we know, the penalty kill has struggled this season. They also were able to stay out of the box, kind of piggybacking off of that, only giving the Predators two power play opportunities. Now, the end of the game was certainly disappointing. A defensive zone breakdown led to the Predators' game winner. But like I said, some positives from this game in the team's play. Next up, Anaheim will head to Dallas on Thursday for a 5.30 p.m. puck drop against the Stars. You can listen to the call here on Duckstream from Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster. It's time to go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL last night, beginning with the Seattle Kraken and LA Kings game. If you didn't watch this game or catch any of the highlights, let me tell you, this was the highest scoring game we have seen in the NHL so far this season. Absolute madness. The Kraken won it in overtime by a score of nine to eight. 17 total goals were scored in this game. It makes you wonder what happened to the goalies. The scoring was fairly even for most of the game before the Kraken were able to take a two goal lead in the second period and kept it through the third. Now, Mikey Anderson was able to even the score at 1339 in the third period for the Kings. That would force overtime. It was his first goal of the season. Kings Nick Nixon has the call. Being patient, watched by Burakovsky, leaves it for Anderson. Ahead to center for Lazad and back to Doughty. Out of his zone, Doughty to the attacking line, feeds it off right circle, Kempe along the boards. Now in the slot to Kopitar with a shot blocked. Doughty with it again, up high it comes. Kempe hands it off, shot, score! Mikey Anderson! 
16 goals tonight. And Mikey Anderson's first goal of the season ties the game. A blast from the right circle. Dersey and now Anderson in the third period were tied at eight. And the Kraken's Andre Burakovsky was the one to net the game winner for Seattle in the end and close out that one. Man, what a game. You don't really see that many goals that often. Next up, the Carolina Hurricanes and Pittsburgh Penguins taking on each other on Tuesday night. Brett Pesci would be the one to net the winner after taking the puck from the neutral zone and working passes with Andrei Svechnikov, his second game winner in the past two games. Listen to the call from Canes' Mike Maniscalco. Now it's Rust. He doesn't like what he sees. And Pittsburgh has too many men on the ice. But a heavy hit by Jarvis. And the Canes will get this out. It's Pesci. 2-0. In on Jari. Back to Pesci. Scores! Brett Pesci. His second game winner in his many nights. And the Canes get the extra point in Pittsburgh. Next up on Tuesday, the Washington Capitals and Vancouver Canucks facing off Two first-period goals for Alex Ovechkin. Ovi grabbing the record for the most road goals in NHL history. 403 total goals on the road. Hear the call for the second goal from Capitals' John Walton. Mantha coming across with Strom and lining it up for Ovechkin. He scores! Alex Ovechkin scores his second goal of the game in his 13th of the season. It's 2 nothing, Washington. Oh, we mentioned it. When it gets one early, he feels it right now. And Jones, that puck, you know, just a simple play by the Caps coming over. You know, everybody touches the puck. Ovechkin sets up in his office, gets the perfect pass, one-time shot, squeaks through the pads of the goaltender, and he gets his second one. But uh, you can see he's feeling it right now. That is the 403rd career road goal for him. He tied it earlier. He passes it now. The most road goals in National Hockey League history. Alex Ovechkin at 4.03, and he's not done by a long shot. And last up on the list, the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Colorado Avalanche. Wheeler now has seven goals so far this season, and goaltender Connor Hallibuck made 40 saves on the night in this shutout. Paul Edmonds has the call for Winnipeg. We'll look it out toward his own line, try to pass. Bounce off the shin pads of Shifley in the high slot. Here's Wheeler right down Broadway, shoots and scores! Blake with the fourth hat trick of his career and the hats will start to rain down and it's five nothing Winnipeg I also want to note if you were watching that game yesterday you might have saw or you saw on Twitter where the Zamboni broke down on the ice in Winnipeg kind of a funny situation but they were able to get it figured out so go check it out on Twitter if you haven't seen that Some more NHL news as we wrap up coast to coast. The Boston Bruins have been rolling at home at TD Garden this season. The team is 13-0 this season. Yeah, that's right. No losses at TD Garden. And that dates back also, if you go back to last season, to April 16th, they are 20-0. Really, really impressive and speaks a lot to the crowd that they have in Boston. What a tough environment it is to play in. 
The Calgary Flames honored the return of Matthew Kachuk on Tuesday night when the Florida Panthers came to town. The team played a video tribute for him, and you can imagine that it was a special night for Kachuk to be back in a place where he spent some time. And lastly, the Pittsburgh Penguins announced on Wednesday, that being today, that Chris Letang is out indefinitely after he suffered a stroke this week. It is not believed to be career-threatening, though. This is the second time he's had a stroke in the last eight years. I'm wishing him a speedy recovery and thinking of him and his family as he takes some time to heal. As the Ducks continue their road trip, we look ahead to their game against the Dallas Stars on Thursday night. Dallas has found some success this season as they lead the Central Division right now. So Brian Ray joins today's show to take a look at their team and what the matchup on Thursday night may look like. Listen in in this next segment. Joining Light the Lamp now is host for the Dallas Stars on Bally Sports Southwest, Brian Ray. Brian, great to have you join us on DuckStream. How are you doing? I'm doing good. The uh, temperature dropped to about 38 degrees down here overnight. <laughs> so it, it's back to hockey weather here in Dallas. <laughs> I feel like that's a rare thing, but I know it does get a little cooler in northern Texas. Uh, the weather isn't as good as Southern California. <laughs> I, I know that, but we do. We'll get our fair share of winter weather when it gets to late December, January and, and February. We've had a couple of freak freeze weather situations. Mm -hmm. I'm not a meteorologist. I just play <laughs> one on TV, but, um, but it's, it's getting cold down here. So it does feel like we're finally into the thick of hockey season. Well, before we get into talking about Dallas and looking ahead to this matchup with the ducks and stars, tell us more about you and your journey in broadcasting and where that began. Well, uh, I mean, how, how, how detailed do you want me to get Alexis? Cause I've got 15 years here that, uh, that I can walk you through. Well, so I, know, I, know. I know you have an extensive background <laughs> in minor league hockey as well, too. I guess, where does the passion for hockey begin for you? Um, it probably started, well, no, I, it did start when I, uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, um, which I love when we play the Ducks because I get to check in with uh, your radio broadcaster, <laughs> Steve Carroll. Yes. We grew up in this, we grew up in the same suburb of St. Louis. Um, so it's always fun to, to mm. cross those paths, but um, when I was, uh, seven years old, my oldest brother was a diehard St. Louis blues fan. And whenever, when you're a little brother, all you want to be is like your oldest brother, you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. gods to you. So all I wanted to do was go to a St. Louis blues game. And for my eighth birthday, he took me to my first hockey game that turned into watching the blues on TV locally. Ken Wilson was the TV voice, which turns into this guy's got the coolest job ever. He gets paid to watch <laughs> hockey. And then fast forward down the line in college, I had the uh, the opportunity to start doing some hockey play by play on our student radio station. And that ultimately turned into 10 years of play by play in the minor leagues before I had the opportunity to come up here to Dallas and be their television host and uh, analyst. Now, one of the things that is really tough on the play-by-play -play side is just the grind of traveling and moving around. So how many places have you lived? Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, this, it, it, this is actually a wild story. Uh, well, we, we all have wild stories. So I'm going to walk you through this the long way because that's how absurd it is. Okay. Um, 
May of 2007, I moved to Lubbock, Texas to work for a team in the old Central Hockey League that doesn't exist anymore called the Lubbock Cotton Kings. In July of 2007, they went out of business and I didn't even get to the start of the season. In August of 2007, I went to work for another team in that league called the Austin Ice Bats. Nine months after that, in August of 2008, they, actually, that might have been April, 2008, they go out of business. Hmm. So then I move on to Odessa, Texas in that Central Hockey League. That's 2008 to 2011. Um, Odessa was dropping to a lower level of junior hockey. I didn't want to go down. I wanted to stay the same or go up. So I left Odessa. I went to a team in Arizona in the Central League in 2011 get there, find out they've got major financial issues and I can see the writing on the wall. So in 2012, after one season, I left them and went to an expansion team in Denver, Colorado mm. in the Central Hockey League. That was great for a first year. Um, however, there was uh, the cost of doing things the way that the owner thought he wanted to do it proved to be too much. So in a round of budget cuts, I was a casualty after one year so after 2013, I left that team, went back home to St. Louis, did some sports talk radio for a year. And then in August of 2014, I ended up in Austin, Texas, four years with the American League franchise for the Stars. And then I got up here to Dallas in September of 2018. But at one point, I did five cities in a six-year span wow. in my minor league journey. It always sounds like Texas was calling you in the end, though. It's, you know, it's, it's weird. Um, now, I, I was doing this math the other day with my wife. I have spent 12 years of my adult life in two different stints in the state of Texas. Mm. So I, I, I don't think that makes me a, a Texan per se, but <laughs> I, I never would have imagined growing up in St. Louis that I would have ended up down here for uh, over a decade of my life. But it just it's worked out that way for some strange reason. Now, having been with the American Hockey League affiliate, how did growing those relationships at that level and then moving up to the stars now and seeing some of those guys cross over into that, how has that helped you? Um, it's, I think overall, just on a personal level, it, mm -hmm. it, it was fun when I first got here because there's a handful of players in that locker room. There still is a handful of players in that locker room that I knew personally, and, and not just from a player broadcaster relationship, but I mean, when you spend hours on a bus, you know, traveling the country with these guys, it's, you know, it, it's definitely not a working relationship. It's a, it, it's a travel relationship bond type thing. So it was, they were obviously very welcoming. It was fun to see them again. You know, I, I would always joke with them when I first got up there, you know, they were excited to get to the NHL level. And I was like, just when you thought you got away from me, here I am <laughs> at the NHL level and I'm still, I'm still asking you questions. So it's, it, it's a lot of fun there. Um, it, it's obviously a, a ton of fun to see them, you know, Rope Hintz just signed an eight year contract extension. I remember when Rope Hintz was a winger who came over from Finland and they were trying to convert him to a center mm. and you know, he spent a couple of years down in the American League, and now all of a sudden the guy just signed an eight-year, 60-plus million-dollar contract. Like, that's his North American career I've literally watched from day one to a pretty pivotal moment in his life, I'm sure, signing a contract like that. So it, it's just kind of cool to see little things like that. And then also when, when we do our show, um, 
you know, Brent Severn is is my other analyst, and he obviously has a connection to the Anaheim Ducks as as one of their former radio broadcasters and and his time there. But like, I, I'll have stories about some of these guys in the American League, or I'll tell him different things about some players that I either had in Texas in the American League or that I saw in the American League, mm-hmm. and and different things like that. And, and, you know, he might have an interesting anecdote about that, or he may have a different experience about that. So at some point, my connection to the American league will sort of date itself out, you know, Mm -hmm. the longer I work here with Dallas, but I think just being in that league, you learn a lot of little details about players from either being with them or, or watching them play. And it can make for some, interesting conversations. And, mm-hmm. and I, I know I'm rambling on here a little bit, but our, <laughs> our, our, our backup goaltender, Scott Wedgwood, like he's gone through a lot of teams yes. in the American hockey league. So he and I never knew each other until he got to Dallas, but I can at least have an open conversation with him about just some different spots in the American league or different experiences going up and down. Cause I've at least witnessed that firsthand with, with other players. So there's just there's little things like that. Those little conversations do form a bond with players and do th- make things a little more comfortable in terms of a working relationship. Well, you talked about that contract extension for Rope Hints. Why was that so essential to get done for the future of the stars in their core? <laughs> well, first of all, he's a good player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a 37 goal, 70 point player f- from a season ago. Um, you don't, those don't grow on trees. So when you have one, you have to find a way to lock it up. And the, the big thing with the stars here in Dallas, if you look over the past five years, Jim Neal is essentially trying to transition on the fly from one core group of players to a different core group of players, but he's trying to do it without stripping it down going through a rebuild and lean years of losing hockey to accumulate draft picks and then build it back up. He's trying to stay competitive and playoff competitive over the whole process. So, you know, slowly, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, Alexander Radulov, John Klingberg, Ben Bishop, we're seeing that core disappear. Obviously, Klingberg is with the Anaheim Ducks now. Alexander Radulov's gone back to Russia. Ben Bishop, technically he's under contract with the Buffalo Sabres, but he's unable to play the game anymore. Ben and Sagan are still here, but, but in the process of some of those players leaving, there's been the development of Rope Hintz, Jason Robertson, Miro Haskinen, and Jake Ottinger. And so now economically with managing the cap, the stars finally got themselves to a point where they could lock up for multiple years, Ottinger, Robinson, Haskinen, and now hints. It's a different length of years. There'll still be some juggling that comes up, you know, maybe three, four years from now. But now you've got that core in place. Mm-hmm. And as they start to continue working through these contracts, Jamie Ben's contract will come up. Tyler Sagan's contract will eventually come up. Those, those decisions will, will be made at a later date. But it's now that you have Rope hints in, he was almost the last big, big piece of the core that Jim Neal was trying to transition to. And so now things will shift a little bit to some young prospects they have in the minors and junior hockey that are getting ready to break through. And then Joe Pavelski, obviously he's on a year to year situation, but that that's kind of not peripheral, but mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the next, the next, the next page essentially that Jim Neal will get to eventually. 
You talked about Jason Robertson. I mean, it's been an absolute huge season for him so far, especially this week <laughs> being named the NHL's first star of the week. Uh, what has it been about his play that he's gotten into this rhythm? I mean, obviously he had a great year last year, uh, but just following that up, I know can be very difficult. What has been working for him so well? Well, it, we we kind of we're kind of running out of things to say about him, honestly. <laughs> we, we, it's which is a good thing, you right? Know? He it's he's a he, he's a he's a really good person off the ice. First mm-hmm. of all, he's just very grounded, very mellow, very low key. Uh, just a good person off the ice, easy to talk to. Doesn't seem to get superstitious. Like he'll answer questions about the streak he's on, things like that. So so there's that component to it. Um, he's always been a prolific goal scorer going back to junior hockey. The, the question with him coming out was his skating ability. That that's what the knock was that, that people had on him and why he fell to the second round. Well, when he finally went to the American league, learned how to score in that league, and then got his time up in Dallas and was learning how to score up here. You kind of realize the, the old cliche hockey IQ his hockey IQ is off the charts because he's not the best skater out there, but he has a lethal shot and everybody knows he's the top goal scorer on the roster. So he's going to get the toughest assignments or he's going to get the most pressure. And he still figures out ways to find space to get that shot off. Mm -hmm. And and obviously it's been going in the net. So Joe Pavelski and Rope Hints are also a part of his success. That line, Mm -hmm. You know, it's the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So you could look at Robertson, you could look at Hints, and you could look at Pavelski, who had one of the best seasons of his career last year. They're a big part of the success of the line, but the line is a big part of also their own individual success. And there's no balance. There's no cutoff. It's just those three do something on the ice that creates a great amount of offense and for Robertson specifically, I, I'm just always been amazed how he's able to shoot the puck. It's a one-timer. Mm-hmm. It's a wrister. It's a backhander. It's on the doorstep cleaning up trash. It's something from distance through traffic. It's with the extra attacker on for, in a clutch situation. It's top of the circle, you know, a quick snapshot. He just, he shoots the puck in a variety of ways and he does it accurately. So that's, that's probably the biggest component to why he's scoring all these goals. Well, the Stars are leading the Central Division right now, just ahead of Winnipeg. How do you see the group sustaining this success after this first quarter of the season? I think the Central Division, first of all, as a whole, as successful as the Stars have been, I, I still consider this to be the dogfight division of the NHL. Um, mm-hmm. I, do, I don't know if they'll get five teams into the playoffs again. Um, but there's going to be a group of, I think about six teams battling for, let's say four spots. And it's going to be very tight down to say the final two weeks, last week of the season. I I do think that's the way the division is going. The, the nice thing for the stars, first of all, is they've banked some points and they've built themselves a little bit of a safety net. Um, doesn't mean they can get complacent, but, but building the points they have certainly helps the top line. I mentioned in the offense, they provide. The lack of depth scoring has been an Achilles heel for the stars the last three seasons, we'll call it. And that seems to have corrected itself in the first 
20 plus games. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason Marchment, Tyler Sagan, they've had good games. They've had average games. They've had Peter DeBoer can't find a third person to play with those two right now. So as good as those two have been in creating high danger chances, they've kind of been incomplete because they've had seven different people play with them this year. So they're still finding a little bit of production from those two, despite not having a third person that they felt comfortable with. They're the, the, per, the de facto third line with Jamie Ben, Wyatt Johnston, and Ty Delandria has been incredibly consistent and incredibly productive. And that's been the surprising depth scoring punch that we've seen this season. And it's, you know, we're 21, 22 games. It's like, no, this is this is a legit thing. These guys have played for 20 plus games and, mm-hmm. and they're making this happen. But but I'm I'm almost scared to to fall in love with it just because of how deficient the stars have been offensively the last three years. I, I've had we've had our heart broken enough sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um but but I, that that I think is the big component. If they can keep getting a punch from the second and the third line, they're gonna keep putting up goals and and they don't have to put so much pressure on their goaltending and their defense. Um, and then a secondary element of that is their goaltending has been pretty consistent for the most part. So they do have a foundation defensively and with their goaltending, they can fall back on. So at some point this season, when the offensive element goes cold, it always does for every team. There's at least a foundation that'll keep them competitive in hockey games. And they may, they may steal a point or two along the way. So that's probably what's going to keep this thing rolling for the stars. And now they have a new head coach this season. You mentioned him, Peter DeBoer, at the helm of this team. How has the group, uh, you know, welcomed him in and taken his coaching um, to heart and onto the ice too? Well, they certainly have taken it to heart. I I think Rick Bonus, I thought, did a phenomenal job uh, with this roster. And there was a lot of different things that he had to get them through from Jim Montgomery's dismissal as head coach, COVID bubble, mm-hmm. um, rescheduled games. They, they, there was at one point where they, I think they played every other night for like 13 consecutive weeks because of some COVID rescheduling. You can't even have a practice, you know, when you're playing a schedule like that. So mm-hmm. There was a lot he managed, and obviously he's a defensive identity as a head coach. So that was hammered into their heads about you have to defend your half of the ice first before offense begins, um, which can be an effective way to play hockey. It's why they pushed Calgary to seven games last year in the playoffs, but it can also be a very taxing way to play hockey over the course of a, of a full season or or a playoff series. So when Peter DeBoer came in, it's not that he wanted to get away from that. It's how do you find the balance to where you're not grinding yourself into the pavement, defending all the time that you can give yourself a little bit of an offensive spark. And I think that first of all was refreshing for this roster. Uh, They talked a lot about it early on. It was less chip and chase. It was more try to make a play at the blue line. It was more move the puck as quick as possible. You want to have support. You want to have an outlet and the puck moves faster than you. So get the puck up ice with movement. So it kind of created a higher tempo, a higher risk, higher reward way to play hockey, which is a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. Mm -hmm. So I I think that allowed the players to to settle in and, and take that to heart. And then they had success right off the hop with it. Not that it wasn't going to work, but a lot of times when you have a coaching change, it may take 
until Thanksgiving or until New Year's before things really settle in and they become second nature and you don't have to think about what you're doing. The Stars didn't have that lull. So they've, they were playing fun hockey. They were getting fun results from fun hockey. And obviously that's going to breed confidence. And then you have something like Jason Robertson's point streak. They're, they're having a lot of fun right now. But it's still a pretty veteran-laden group that knows we're not about regular season success only. They, they have higher aspirations than they have for the last couple of years. Although he's been out for the past week and we aren't sure if we'll see him on Thursday night, John Klingberg, he spent eight seasons in Dallas. What kind of reaction would you expect to see from the fans upon a return from him? Uh, I think it's going to be very positive. I think it's going to be very wholesome, very positive. Uh, I see on social media all the time fans that certainly miss him, mm-hmm. fans that wish Dallas would have kept him, fans that understood why Dallas couldn't keep him. But they, uh, I think he's going to, you, you know, the tribute videos coming, you know, he's going to have his moment, <laughs> yep. you know, he, he spent eight seasons and he was really good. So I, I would expect uh, a very loud, positive possible standing ovation type of response for him because he was a really good player uh, on and off the ice for a very long time for this organization. Brian Ray, great to have you join us here on Duck Stream. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night. Yeah, you too. I appreciate you having <laughs> me. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I enjoy watching the Ducks. That, that is a fun team to watch, and I am excited to get a hold of this game tomorrow. It should be a blast. It's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. As I mentioned, we are a quarter of the way through this NHL season. So I want to hear from you guys. What have been some of the things that have stood out to you, whether it's about the Anaheim Ducks or about the NHL in general at this point in the season, you can tweet them at me at Alexis Downey underscore, or you can tweet at Duckstream on Twitter. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. As always, I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for much more hockey talk right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.